get started again there. Um, thanks so much, Marissa, for setting us up. Um, welcome again. Uh, you probably weren't expecting this. We've been mentioning in the last couple of weeks this was coming, but especially if you're new here, I just want to name like you are getting blasted with a Sunday out of the blue you maybe weren't expecting. And uh, yet to give you just a little bit of context to it, as you're maybe piecing this together, just sort of tracking with the narrative, our church, Community Christian Church, uh, has many locations across Chicagoland. So we're one church, but currently we have seven churches across Chicagoland. And one of the amazing legacies of community was that it started about 35 years ago. Um, community's heart was to try to connect churches to other churches. Community's always been really sort of open-minded, um, networking, collaborative. And in their attempt to do that, around the same time, Compassion International was starting to gain a lot of momentum around trying to connect churches to sponsor children across the globe. What's really cool about Compassion is that they have an emphasis on the local church. So one of the things that they do through sponsorships is that they connect children who are being sponsored to basically the community center that is the church. So meals will take place within the church, education takes place within the church, uh, some relationships, mentoring, uh, those kind of investments are taking place through the church. And so for the last 35 years, community as a church has been looking for ways to partner with other churches, to network with other churches, and compassion has become one of those vehicles that really concretely allows us to take a Sunday, like this Sunday, and look up to the globe. Um, most of the time, if you're here with us at Community Christian Church Lincoln Park, you know that I love talking about the city. I love living in the city. I love being here as a Chicago church. Let's be honest, being a city person just makes you like cooler than everybody else. That's what I think about you guys, at least. Um, I can say it. Uh, I can be later reprimanded for it by those of you who come up to me and are like, hey, I'm actually living in the suburbs, so that was very hurtful. I apologize. Um, but like being a city church, we love being here in the city. You've probably heard we love being present here to our neighborhood. We've built some partnerships here uh, in Lincoln Park. We want to keep building more and more partnerships so that our presence can be here. But on this Sunday, we're just looking up for a Sunday around the globe. And as you're probably already seeing and noticing from some of these clips, videos, sweet Vibel, who Marissa has been sponsoring, I mean, to just even pause for a moment and think about the needs that exist globally, um, the most recent stats, and none of this will surprise you, although I know these also just almost feel numbing because they're so big. Um, recently, CIA's World Factbook estimated that 85% of the world's youth live in low-income countries. Um, that's just a staggering number, so low-income. Um, an estimated 385 million children, <laughs> 385 million children currently live in extreme poverty on less than $1.90 a day uh, by U.S. dollars. 385 million children. Like, of course this is true anytime we look up and notice it. And yet, even as I say these numbers, the question inevitably becomes the reason why we don't like to talk about these numbers. That is so overwhelming. Like, how do we address 385 million children that need help? Like, what, could, what difference could we possibly make. This is where Compassion International has stepped in by getting targeted, by being focused, and what you hopefully have been catching in between the cracks is that as we have been very relational in our partnership with Compassion, we're focusing on Honduras. Uh, there's a region in Honduras we'll talk a little bit more about in just a second, and in this region we're investing in local churches, but specifically we are partnering with children. So one of the most amazing things Compassion does 
is it allows you to build a relationship with the child that you're sponsoring. So you saw those messages. Messages get sent back and forth. There's an ongoing dynamic. You can, and people have, I've been hearing stories the last couple weeks, you can walk with a child all the way from whatever age you start sponsoring them up to high school graduation. You can see where they go from there. It's amazing. So that number, 385, suddenly becomes one child that you, that you can personally invest in. Okay, I know I'm starting to, to build a little bit of emotion, maybe a little bit of pressure. We don't want to put any pressure on you. We just want to invite you into the ability to be a concrete, tangible difference in the world. So before, in order to do that, um, so that this doesn't look like a sales pitch, my pastoral duty with you is to take just a moment to ask why we as a Christian church, why we as a Christian community here in the city would do this kind of thing. Because there's lots of good organizations. There's lots of ways that you could be a good person. But like, why would we specifically take a Sunday to invite you to think about sponsoring a child? Um, I want to tell you a little bit of the story through the Bible. We're going to do a deep, deep dive. Uh, for those of you who are still here and part of our church, you know I just love a good Bible deep dive. So let's, let's, let's get into this. Um, the deep dive I want to take you on is to take you all the way back into the Old Testament times, right? We're going to go all the way back in the story of Israel. And here in the story of Israel, there is this profound moment that happens in Israel's identity as a people where for 400 years, think about that for just a second, the United States is something like 275 years old, right? So 400 years, Israel lives in the land of Egypt as servants and slaves, now, this, this isn't maybe as bad as it could have been. Uh, lots of foreign powers did this. They would bring different tribes and peoples in, would essentially use them as their workforce. Um, but terrible things happened to Israel as they were enslaved for these 400 years. And they were forced to produce everything from building bricks for the pyramids, all the way to like horrific stories that we find in the book of Exodus of Pharaoh on a whim pronouncing, we are going to kill the firstborn children uh, that are coming out of the Israelites, right? So these are, it's, it's terrible to be in a state of oppression. Now here's why this matters. God miraculously intervenes. We're not going to get into the whole story. You can watch some movies on it. You know, there's 10 plagues, Moses, let my people go. Charlton Heston was a part of it. Um, as you go through the story of the way that God miraculously intervenes, he then calls Israel to Mount Sinai. They're sitting there on the mountain, and God is about to give them the law. Now, I know we often think of the Ten Commandments as this sort of high and mighty fluting, like God's law, and they are that to a degree. Um, but alongside the Ten Commandments, there's all these other instructions that God gives to Israel. And here's one that's really fascinating, right? I want to take you straight to Exodus 22, this is coming right after the Ten Commandments, and this is what God says. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. That's actually the word you often see in other Bible translations as orphans. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear it. Whew, I don't know about you, but that's, this is one of those like, if you're taking the Bible seriously, you get chills in this moment. Because God says, listen, you were just in a land of oppression, right? Like 400 years, you were mistreated. And during that time, you saw what it felt like to be on the margins, to be oppressed, to be vulnerable. 
So now you, as a people, have this opportunity to treat foreigners, and, and this is a real struggle. I mean, it's certainly still a struggle today, right? To treat foreigners, those outside of your people, with the kind of dignity and kindness and respect that you were denied when you yourself were oppressed in Egypt. But God goes even further and notes these two categories that pop up again and again and again in the Bible that specifically do not take advantage of the widow. So think about this for a second. In uh, ancient society, so much of the work that you're doing is agricultural. There's a lot of work with the land. There's a lot of work with your hands. Men and women worked. Men and women collaborated as families. Um, but like, just the nature of life in the ancient world was vulnerable when a husband would die. You would lose status. Often you'd lose access to his whole family system that was probably supporting your family to some degree, whether you were living with them or, or doing something else. And so it was quite common in the ancient world for widows, if your husband died, you would need to get remarried quite quickly to sort of get stability again in the world. And this window, before, if you either couldn't get married, because sometimes you might be too old, there might not be anyone available, there might not be anyone interested, this window of being widowed was extremely economically, socially, uh, religiously vulnerable. God says, do not take advantage of the widow. But then God goes even a step further. I mean, imagine in this sort of terrifying world that we're so disconnected to, a world where there's no modern medicine, there's no modern infrastructure, there's no modern politics, there's no uh, cities and daycares and support systems everywhere. You are a child, and for some freak reason, your parents die, right? Like your mom and your dad both pass away. You had no control over it, and you now have entered into this world in which you don't really have much you can contribute because it's work. Like you need to get to work now. That's the main thing that people are looking for from you. And it's possible that you have no family system around you. Like ideally, a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt or an uncle takes you in. But for these children, they are fatherless. They are orphaned. God says, do not take advantage of the orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will hear it. Whew. It's like God is telling you, I am looking particularly at the foreigners, the widows, and the orphans in your midst. And what I want to know is, will you see them and will you honor them in the way that you yourself were not honored? I just want to take you on a quick run. Uh, if this was like a one-off verse, I, I think that alone preaches. We could probably end right there and uh, we'd have a great morning. But let me, let me just take you a little more on the story because I, I just love this stuff. I get so into this. So this is now Deuteronomy. We're jumping ahead. If you, if you have your Bible with you, this is Deuteronomy 10. Check this out. God goes after this again. So he's given the law to Israel. Israel's kind of wandered in the wilderness. They've moved forward a bit, but they've also gotten stuck. They're trying to figure this out. What does this mean to be the people of God? How do we enter into this new land of promise that we're waiting for? Here's what God says in Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless. It's a term again for orphan. He defends the cause of the orphan and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. You see here, I mean, it's the same... It's the same principle, but I'm just drawing your attention to the fact that like 
God says it a couple of times. This is a principle that God wants you to remember. This was not a one-off God sort of being like, you know, if you get to it, like there's some foreigners, take care of them if you can. Like, you know, like there's a few widows, maybe some orphans. Try not to do wrong by them if you can. You know, no, no. God is like leaning in as God is establishing who God is. You catch at the beginning. Like I am the Lord. I am the God of all gods. I claim sovereignty and dominion. And when you know me, you should know that I defend the fatherless and the widow. I love the foreigner and I want to provide for them. Now, here's the final question I'd be asking at this point. I'm like, okay, God, like, it's good to know that your heart is for them, but how are we supposed to go about this? Like, I don't know if you've noticed, God, but like, it's hard enough for me to take care of myself, to sort of meet my needs, to to work my land. So how am I supposed to have all this extra capacity to just be like caring for the foreigners and the widows and the orphans? Well, here we go. Deuteronomy 14. It's almost like God has really thought this through. Um, Here's this fascinating thing. I'd never really heard about this on a Sunday morning before. At the end of every three years, bring all of the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance on their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands." Here's what's going on. In Israel, God gives them a vision saying, every year I want you to take 10%, 10% of what you've got, a tenth. That's uh, where we get the word tithe. And with that tithe, I want you to set it aside so that that tithe can be brought back to me. Uh, this tithe was often used to provide for uh, the priests and the Levites. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. Uh, sorry about that. I felt it coming on, just wanted to name it. Um, so God is inviting you to take this tenth to set it aside And as you set it aside, God has this additional instruction where he says every third year, um, so every three years, what that tenth should be done is stored so that this storehouse of provisions in the center of your town could be used to meet the needs of the vulnerable. Now, I'm not saying that like we need to start doing this every three year system. I think uh, there's a lot of intricacies that we now get into when it comes to social welfare and the state and what's taking place in our neighborhoods, how we're partnering with organizations like Compassion. But what I love is, and what I just wanted to show you as an example, God is very practical, right? God's like getting into the weeds of how a society together could collaborate to meet the needs of those that God particularly loves. Now, here's my last uh, point to make this morning. When it comes to the ancient world, what's interesting is that there's, there's all these different gods around. So Israel is sitting there. If you think about Israel on a map, surrounded by all these foreign powers, there's Egypt down there, there's the Assyrians, there's the Babylonians, uh, there's later going to be the Greeks and the Romans, and they're all kind of milling around. And all of these different societies have all these different gods to meet all these different needs. And typically what happens is that these gods in the sort of milieu that is taking place around you would be associated with the thing that God was particularly good at doing. So you've maybe heard in the Old Testament that God Baal, he was associated with rain and thunder. And so if you were having a dry spell, if the harvest was not coming in, if there was no rain, you would bring a sacrifice to Baal because you're like, hey, this guy can hook me up, right? I need, I need the hookup that, ba- that Baal can provide. And so I'm going to bring Baal what Baal wants. And then hopefully Baal will meet my needs. 
Uh, and this was true for all these different gods. This is true in Roman society, in the Greek society. You'd bring a sacrifice to get something from your God. Here's where God flips the switch, or flips the story with Israel. God begins to say quite clearly throughout the Old Testament, I want you to know me as the God who cares for the orphaned and the widow and the foreigner. So, so check this out, uh, three quick verses, because I'm going to run you through the Old Testament. One is Psalm 68, 4 to 6. The psalmist is singing a song proclaiming who Israel's God is. Who is this God that we sing to? He says, sing to God, sing in the praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is Yahweh. His name is the Lord. He is a father to the orphan, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out prisoners with singing but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Isn't that so beautiful? Like, who is this God that we worship? He, our God, our patron God, is the God of the fatherless and the widow who is going to bring you into a new family. This is our God. Uh, this is now later in the book of Hosea, Hosea 14, 2 to 3. Hosea is going to say, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made, but for in you, the fatherless find compassion. Who is this God? Who is this God that we're trying to return to? Well, Hosea sees this is the God who takes orphans in. This is the God who wants to father those who are currently fatherless. This is the one that when orphans come to this God, they don't find rejection, they don't find expectation, they find compassion. And so as a response to this God, over and over and over again, I could show you probably 20 more. Here's Isaiah 117, just as a concrete example. The prophets are going to say to Israel when Israel's failing, hey, you're failing to worship God correctly because you are failing to honor and value those things which our God honors and values. So Isaiah says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the orphan, plead the case of the widow. You almost see Isaiah saying like, don't you know who God is? Right? Like if you're going to align your life with God, step in and do something. Like meet the needs of the injustice around you. Be the one who takes up the cause of the orphan, who cares for the widow. Now, you, you probably have seen this verse. This is so beautiful. Quick connection, and we're going to continue moving back to compassion in our invitation to you this morning. Jesus comes on the scene, right? So Jesus is now on the scene, and Jesus claims to be the very image of God, the word of God. Jesus claims to be the son of God. Jesus says, when you look to me and see what I value, you will know what God values. If this is true, it is a little sad and disappointing, isn't it? That his disciples miss the mark so much in this encounter. This is Mark 10, 14 to 16. We're told in this story that the disciples are there Jesus is teaching to a crowd, and these children keep running up to him. They, they just keep intruding, and they keep making noise, and they're kind of disruptive and chaotic and all over the place. And parents are even, like, pressing their kids forward, just trying to get them close to Jesus to get some of that Jesusness that everybody was into. And in this situation, as the disciples are kind of trying to manage the crowd, 
we're told when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. <laughs> he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. I don't know if I had fully gotten my head around it until even sitting with this Sunday, but the reason why I take you through the sweep of the Bibles is that I think we often associate God with a lot of things. Um, and some of these things may be helpful, you know, like God is powerful, God is mighty. Maybe you sometimes picture, I know my mind gets stuck, like God is up there in the clouds and it's all kind of like a little bit Zeusy, that maybe the like lightning and thunder and power, that's God. Or, or maybe you have really negative associations of God that you're still trying to work through. Uh, I had some of these too growing up, that God was like a strict disciplinarian that God was a taskmaster, that God had rules that needed to be followed, maybe like that teacher who was a little bit harsh, maybe like a boss or a supervisor who kind of relentlessly expects more of you. All of these can be ways that we picture God, but have you pondered this picture of God that is a father to the orphans? Even just Jesus sitting there saying, let the children Come to me. Do you ever have that moment when you're around? Sometimes it can be a parent, although I'll be honest with you, parents get tired. So we tend not to always be the best fatherly, motherly examples uh, if you catch us in our exhaustion phase. Sometimes this can be the aunt or the uncle, or I've seen this with babysitters or some of you who go up and serve in Kid City. This moment where it's like with full presence and delight, you enter into the world of the child in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? Like when a person's able to do that, have you ever pictured God that way? like God's heart, his identity, the way that God wants to be known in this world is as a father of the orphan who's just here. You just see Jesus bringing these children in. Jesus putting his hands on them. Jesus blessing the children. If this is who our God is, then the invitation for us to align ourselves with this God. And I, I think the wonderful thing is this one is not hard, right? Some of the things that God invites us into will be hard. There will be invitations for you to, to be reworked and reformed. Uh, there may be certain behaviors, uh, certain patterns of thinking, thoughts, addictions that need to be carved away as you enter into the new life God wants to invite you into. But this one, this one, our hearts long to be fathered, don't they? Even if you've had a bad experience with your own earthly father, our hearts long to be fathered. Our hearts long to be part of a family. We long to sit around that table and to feel the joy of connection, dependence, feel the comfort and assurance of a parent smiling down at us. That's what our hearts are longing for. This is who our God is. And our God invites us to extend this value of God out to the world. Here's Isaiah 58.10. This is where I want to close this before we move into a final conversation that I think you're going to really enjoy. Isaiah says this, If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Here's my prayer for our community. I want us to 
get involved, whether this is specifically this Sunday with compassion, whether this is you just getting involved with the way our community is trying to be a light in our neighborhood. I want us to get involved because we need more light in this world. We need more family. We need more parents. We need more orphans being welcomed in. And so this, this Sunday, for us to give you such a concrete invitation to care for those who are vulnerable, to care for those in need, uh, is, to me, one of the easiest and most exciting ways we can step into that light. Let me go ahead and pray for us as we transition. Lord, thank you for being the God of the orphan. Thank you for loving widows. Thank you for loving foreigners, those who are vulnerable and depressed. Lord, we know that the need is staggering in our world. And yet I just pray even through this brief reflection on your heart, I pray that we'd be able to see more clearly the way that you want us to see, that we would have your eyes for those in need, and that whether it's through compassion this Sunday or through all of the small opportunities in our life, that we would be able to bring more light here to our city of Chicago. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, as if, as if we're not throwing enough at you, here's the last thing we wanted to do. Um, the story goes that about three or four weeks ago, we mentioned to our volunteer team before the service that we had an opportunity to partner with Compassion, that in partnering with Compassion, we had this specific partnership with Honduras. And we heard from our very own Angela Hernandez, who's been a part of the church for about the last year and a half, who's currently a DePaul student. We'll have her share a little bit more of her story. Uh, Angela goes, uh, no way. I don't know if you guys remember, I'm from Honduras, and I was sponsored as a child. <laughs> so uh, I asked Angela, would she feel comfortable coming up and just sharing a little bit more about Honduras specifically, about what it was like to be sponsored as a child? And so would you all warmly help me welcome Angela up? So obviously, Angela is uh, nervous and is very brave to be doing this. Um, Angela, first just tell us about what you're doing at DePaul. Yes. Yeah, yes. and what, it's, what you're okay. doing here in Chicago. Yeah. Perfect. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Hernandez. Uh, I'm a sophomore DePaul student. I'm majoring in music performance at DePaul. So classical music. I play the bassoon. <laughs> Which yeah. is not the easiest instrument to play, I've heard. Yeah, I mean, non-instrument, it's easy, but yeah, that one is a special case, let's say. <laughs> Double reads, a lot of things to do <laughs> besides practice, but yeah, so I'm, I'm starting at DePaul, I'm in my second year, I'm a sophomore, and yeah, I connected with DePaul through, it's funny, I didn't even know Chicago existed, because <laughs> I did all my process, it started in Honduras, I did everything online, audition, everything, so I connected through... Let's call it like a lot of prayer, <laughs> basically, because I, I didn't know where to go, what to do. And I knew a couple of universities, so I wanted to put another one in the list because I was being helped by my sister-in-law. She's from New York, and she, like, she knew about the stuff of going to college in the States. So I was trying to find another place, and I was like, okay, God, I need help because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know where to apply. So I like looked... The first thing that came up to my mind was the image of, of the bean. <laughs> and like, I didn't know where it was. God and works I, in mysterious yeah. ways, I suppose, yeah. I saw I Google, like, where's the bean? <laughs> so Chicago appeared. 
and then I looked for a school of music in Chicago. And the Paul appeared, and I looked at the faculty list for bassoon, and they are the bassoon section of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So I was like, oh, I think I, I might go. I want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's how the Paul appeared there. And then as I kept moving through the process of applying, it was, it was good, and I was uh, being helped till the day I got here. So that was just a clear affirmation that here was the place that I, I was meant to be. Yeah, amazing. We'll talk a little more about yeah. where you're going after this, but give us just a little bit more of what it was like growing up in Honduras, your family, how you got connected to sponsorship. Yes, yeah. yes. So, yeah, I, I grew up in Honduras. I moved here just a year and a half ago. <laughs> so all my life was in Honduras. Um, my neighborhood where I grew up, it's one of the, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Honduras because it's full of gangs, and gangs are, like, the main, one of the main reasons why children and youth don't go to school because it's like the easier way to get money mm -hmm. and p families need money because the, the level of poverty is really high and keeps things kept going just in like kind of a train ride. <laughs> mm -hmm. But so growing up in my neighborhood, it was fun. I feel like children get to find a way to still have fun throughout all the, you know, the dark moments and yeah. family and stuff. So I, I remember I had a good childhood time because friends but also you I didn't I feel like most of us didn't understood the whole what was going on in our families but yeah I think one of the main things was going to church Sunday schools because the that's where you like you know go and eat food <laughs> <laughs> they have food um so the church where I used to go my dad used to be the pastor of that church not anymore so I will go because of my dad. And <laughs> yeah. so in that church, there was a program similar to Compassion called Aldea Global. So they were sponsored children to start school. Because that's the, the main, how the things don't get started. Like children don't go to school is not the main priority in, in the house. Because usually there's a lot of siblings, there's a lot of people that you need to just, everyone has to be working, even children have to be working. to in order to bring food and money to, to the house. So... Like, Aldea Global had the, the same mission as Compassion. So they thought, okay, let's sponsor this church, and, and let's sponsor the children that come to the church, and then we'll kind of expand to the community, the, the whole neighborhood. And so, yeah, local church, same as Compassion. And so I was part of the group, and my, my, my parents were like, yes, we would love Angela to be a sponsored child because I think she deserves like, an education and star school. Yeah. So I got into a really nice school. It was a private school, and never, I have never, I think I was the only one in my neighborhood going to that school because it's, it's just nice. It's too, it's too it's expensive, and it's not something that you can afford just because you, you think it's necessary. So yeah. you mentioned how many siblings do you have? Uh, I have at, at the moment it was four of us living at the house. Four of you in the four house. Four of us. Yeah. And so you were just saying like there would have been no way for you to get to that school if sponsorship no. hadn't gotten involved. No, no, probably and probably I would have started school at seven or eight. Yeah. And but I started at five. I started going to kindergarten. So it was nice. I think that going to that school basically made me the student I am right now. It's a good education, being exposed to art and good good teachers, yeah. more friends. So it was nice. I feel like that's just something that we tend to assume that's normal. But back there, back in Honduras and over there, 
till this day, it's just not the, the normal. It's not the yeah. something that you can in, um, enjoy as part of your life going to school. So yeah. you mentioned to me that the region, and forgive me, I cannot pronounce the okay. capital city. Can you yes. do it for us so that yes. everyone can? Yeah, so the, I, I've heard from uh, both pastors at church that the, the city is, that they're going to uh, be sponsored. It's Tegucigalpa. That's where I grew up. It's the capital of Honduras. And Te, so Tegucigalpa. Tegucigalpa. Exactly what, what Angela said. Tegucigalpa. So, yeah, I was excited because, I mean, I, I think then I can contribute even more because I'm from there. I grew up there. Um, so I know the area where compassion is trying to approach to and, like, connect with the local churches. Yeah. You is, mentioned you talked to your mom who's yes, doing yeah. social work there right now. Yeah, she used to do social work there back in 2008. <laughs> back in 2008. And it's this area of Honduras, it's really, I think it's the poorest area of Tegucigalpa because yeah. it's the area where the incineration of garbage processes. So families, their main uh, source of money, income comes from going to work there every day and they live there. They, they live in the middle of stuff over there. It's not a great situation. Children are working too as well. And I know the churches over there, it, they, are, they are basically like children centers to so I feel like th those churches are open throughout the day to provide meals at least or and then and during Sundays uh, they try to give um, classes to teach kids how to write and, and and read and just the basics of that it, they are able to do which is still a lot of work because yeah. it's you're saying it's, it's kind of like meals and even just beginning the process of education is one yeah. of the huge gifts that churches yeah. just by. It is really hard because I've been part of similar things, not in that area, but in other parts of Honduras that I would like volunteer with to work with children. And it, it's hard. It's people like if you want to provide them meals every Sunday all throughout the week, it's like, well, then I don't I, I don't get to eat then. Yeah. So yeah. I can help because this money is not coming from anywhere. It's yeah. coming from the same community that wants to help other communities. Yeah. So I feel like being a sponsor means or getting to sponsor a children or a whole community of children <laughs> over there means provide them food, provide them a, a future, something that they cannot imagine because it's just not an option. I love that, yeah. Angela. And uh, it's so fun being able to just hear the real on the ground. I loved yeah. your point of like, there's joy. Yeah, this is different than life in Chicago, but the real tangible difference that this investment can yes. make. Speaking of dreams, I told you the last question we'd ask is for yeah. you to share with us, what are your dreams moving forward here? Where, what would you uh, love to see the future hold? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> well, after I graduate, I, well, I, I plan on staying here for a master's degree, hopefully try to find a job into an orchestra. But I'm also open to the idea of, I like teaching, and I, I think going through that path will be an option too. And I would love to contribute to Honduras. I mean, the, the, the school that I went to, the, the, the community where I, I got interested in music, because I feel like music is also a path that God uses us to connect children to, to him and, and youth in general. I feel like I was saved because of music. And f music was brought to me through God. And I, I feel like I, without music, I would have been lost. And yeah, God did that. And it was because of the first, the day zero, where someone decided to sponsor me. I think, yeah, that yeah. started my wow. education. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't mm. be here. Yes. Okay, so... I first wanted to just 
pray for Angela as a community. If you guys feel comfortable just extending hands out um, to her, lift her up in prayer, and then let's thank her one more time here. But um, Lord, we come before you with your daughter and your servant, Angela, um, and we're just so humbled by the beauty of her story um, that she was able to be met in such a tangible way. An opportunity opened up for her to be in education, able to, to hear music, <laughs> to encounter beauty, to, to find you, Lord, uh, and then to be swept into this adventure all the way here to DePaul, where she sits now in our community and has this hope and dream because of the opportunities given for her that she can go back and pour out so much more beauty and hope and love into the world. Lord, as Angela's Church, uh, we thank you for her. We pray for her as a student, that you would be near to her, that you would keep her strong, um, that she would be able to receive everything that this season of education is offering to her, that there would be joy and friendship, even more adventures. And we pray a blessing over her future, Lord, and that you would use her as, you, as she goes forth from here in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Angela. Let's give her one more round of applause. So we want to end with a time of worship as we do every week. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to receive communion as we sing. But let me just give really clearly to you what the invitation is out of this Sunday. Uh, Compassion International allows you for $43 a month, $43 a month to sponsor a child. Uh, we'll let Christopher in just a minute tell you about how little that, that is in some ways for us. I mean, I, I know that. I'm sure you feel that too. Um, and yet, what an incredible, tangible impact that $43 a month can make. Compassion in particular has an app that will let you be, uh, have stored your communication with the child you're partnered with. They've got some really cool stuff. Um, would love to help you explore the app once you start sponsoring. Um, as a church community, because we're focusing on a region and you're kind of hearing this model as it played out, uh, we're going to be connected to this church. And I know that Compassion and community are talking about ways to have Zoom calls with your children that you sponsor, which is quite beautiful. Um, I was just hearing this last week that next year in 2025, we're gonna send a team down to Honduras to again be invested, to be connected to this region. So it's an incredibly relational investment. Um, just if there's any part of you wondering what's going on, where is any of this going? Um, and let me just maybe say this as a final blessing over you. Um, some of you here, I'm sure, hopefully, I just wanna name it for myself. I had not previously sponsored a child before preparing for this Sunday, and I am moved to sponsor a child. I just feel, even for my cynicism and tight purse strings, right, that this, this is a clear and easy and beautiful invitation. I hope there are some of you this morning, like Marissa four years ago, who even if you're, even if you're in student mode, you know, even if there's debt, even if the budget's a little bit tight, I hope that this could be something that you say, wow, I see the beauty and value of this, and you take the leap to sponsor a child this morning. If you're ready to do that, there's packets out in the lobby. You can literally see the face of the child you're gonna sponsor. And our only request is not to take a packet home. Feel free to look at them, but don't take it home unless you're planning on sponsoring that child. That's making sense. But my, my final blessing for you is that some of you here this morning are not in a place to sponsor a child. I know not everyone's gonna sponsor a child. And that is okay. The church does not need to shame or pressure you. We're, we're all going to be okay, right? Uh, this is going to be okay. And if that's you, could I just invite you to pray with us for these children? Um, even go out to the table without feeling the pressure of having to commit if you're not in a place to sponsor a child right now. Go look at the pictures and just pray for these children. You hear in our longing that like God's heart is for children's, God's heart, like I hear as I sit with Angela, the dream that God stirred in a child and the way the church at 
her best is able to be this, this light that is able to pour out and create more space. So join me, if you would, in two prayers. First, um, I want to pray for any of you here who have already been sponsoring children. Let's just lift up the children you've been sponsoring, like Babel in prayer, like Angela. Uh, and for any of you here who are either going to sponsor a child or are going to join us in praying, let's also pray for Honduras in this region we're going to be partnered to. God, we come before you for these children. First, we thank you for the many faithful people here who have already been in this work, sponsoring children. Lord, thank you for the, that small, carved commitment out of their monthly budget to be able to open up dreams like we heard from Angela today. We pray for their children. We pray for Babel. We pray for the four-year-olds, the eight-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, the 16-year-olds. As Angela said, all the pressures on their lives, pressures to work, pressures to leave education behind, pressures from gangs, Lord, be with them. May these investments matter. May these investments open up new life and opportunity. And Lord, we also pray the same over Honduras, over this region.